Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another episode of Nosebleeds. I am Danny Scott, joined with Ryan Gregoire and Joe Masters. Baseball's kind of in that weird limbo position where everyone's kind of past the excitement on opening day. We're almost starting to get into the summer months, getting into the dog days of baseball, but still a lot to talk about in the world of baseball. But before we get into that, how you fellas doing? Kind of an exciting episode with this trio. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting dynamic, stealing the words right out of Joe's mouth in the mic check there. You made a great point because you're you have that point early in the season, like first five, ten games where you make sure you plan your schedule around watching baseball all the time and now we're at that point where every single day we know 162 is such a grind we're at that point where now we're 20-ish games in uh game number 20 i believe right now for some teams and it's not at the back burner but you have other sports you have the playoffs in the nhl nba so certainly this is a little more quiet time but in terms of the news in baseball there's plenty to talk about yeah and it's kind of past that period where you can kind of get a sense of the team's going to be really good and the teams that are going to flat out stink. So it's that interesting period in the beginning where maybe your favorite team isn't that good, but you're hoping this can be the year where we can rattle off some wins. If that's an A's fan, then that's not the year I'll tell you right <laughs> Yeah, now. I know. You're not doing too well right now. But, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting because you're kind of seeing how it's going to shake out maybe the best teams in the league, but still a lot of time for some movement. And before we really get into the discussion, I want to say, Ryan, this may be – our last podcast episode ever together. You want me to cry? Like, we're, yeah. we're just starting the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't say this at the end? Yeah, I, I got to get it out there so so people know how, how special this one is. But let's talk some Yanks. Um, they're 11-7 and seven right now, currently playing as we're recording this, I believe up 5-2 to two on the Angels. Uh, they split with the Twins last week after dropping the first two um, and have a really good chance of winning the series against the Angels. And so far, um, they haven't officially lost a series coming into this one. What's most impressive, too, is 9-0, and I believe, when facing a series loss. So they go down two straight to the Twins at home, nonetheless. That's a team the Yankees always take care of. They give up nine runs in the first inning in one of those games. Johnny Brito can't get out of the first inning. Then they turn around, win those last two. You feel good about it. Drop the first game to the Angels, a walk-off last night. Glaber Torres, the hero, and extras in that one. And now you mention it, a five-run first thing for the Yankees. Bottom of the six right now, so big nine outs to go. You don't want to jump the gun and say they're going to win this game, but very impressive if they can. They're the only team in baseball without a series loss, and it's surgical. It's not sweeping. It's not dominating. It's two of three, two of three, two of three, and if you can do that over a long stretch, you're going to be really good. Yeah, and you're going to separate yourself from the, from the competition and the rest of the league. And one thing with this Yankees team that's really exciting to me is Obviously, you got Judge, Glaber, some of the familiar guys, but everyone likes to talk about Anthony Volpe, and I think rightfully so. He's doing something. He's a rookie. He's doing something that Yankees fans are feeling this rookie excitement that they haven't felt since a Glaber or even since a Judge. And I feel bad for him because he's always, you know, he plays shortstop. He's compared to Jeter. But he's doing some really special things. He's been moved to that leadoff spot. 
his batting average last night. Aaron Boone called last night probably the best game of his career so far. He raised it from 180 to 204, so almost 25 percentage points there in one night. Uh, and he's just been a really bright spot for this Yankees team. And it's something, of course, you're always going to want to watch the New York Yankees because of a guy like Aaron Judge. But when you have some youth and some excitement and some kind of unknown there, it makes it all the better. I think that's the biggest thing about this Yankees team is their lineup is very good. When everyone's hitting, this is arguably the best lineup in baseball. However, the issue is less so the lineup. You maybe want to add another bat at the deadline. You, you're always looking to add bats, but it's been the pitching. It's been really questionable. Outside of Garrett Cole, it's been a little iffy. Nestor's been good, not great, but then guys like Brito, Schmidt, and Herman have been kind of lit up, and we're still waiting to see what Rodon's going to be. Um, he might be waiting all season. Yeah, He's getting a setback every other day. Exactly. But so if you're a Yankees fan, Ryan, I know you are, Joe, I believe you are as well. <laughs> Nationals fan. Nationals fan. Yeah. Sorry. Let's yeah, not go yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah. Please. Guy. Please. Yeah. Um, we, we don't want to talk Nationals baseball, so you probably don't either. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> completely fair, but... Uh, this this pitching rotation it, it's got to be slightly concerning if you're a Yankees fan what are what are you looking right. for who needs to really step up the most well it, it's funny too cuz they are third in ERA um right now so like you you mentioned all those question marks Garrett Cole has just been phenomenal a name it you did looks didn't, like the Cy Young he does right now he's the Cy Young of the American League a name you didn't even mention is Luis Severino yeah. it's a multiple time all-star who seems like the injury bug always gets him from 2019 to 21 he threw about you know 100 pitches total is coming out of the pen late in one of those seasons. So availability has been the question for the Yankees. A guy like Johnny Brito who comes into the season on nobody's radar, what can you really expect from him? He's turned in two great starts, then had one of the worst starts you can have in baseball. I mentioned it before, not getting out of the first inning. Yesterday, you know, you pitch into the fifth inning, just one run. You certainly will take that from a guy who's supposed to be your eighth, ninth on the depth chart. But it is a question mark for sure, Danny. You need somebody, Herman. You looked at that last start versus the Twins, seven innings, eleven Ks in that game. If he can be even half of that going forward, give you five innings of one two run ball, you take that with the Yankees' ability to score runs. Yeah, and you mentioned that last start, and yeah, like you said, something in the middle because if you can get six solid innings out of Domingo Herman, that's all you can ask for, especially while you're waiting for your premiere pickup in free agency I mean if you, know, you don't want to call Aaron Judge because he's resigning but with Carlos Rodon you got to wait for him to come back it seems like a setback like you said every other day but hopefully he'll pitch for the Yankees and the pinstripes at some point but yeah you kind of have to look to one of in my opinion Clark Schmidt or Domingo Herman to kind of be solid they're going to give you the ups and downs right now for Clark Schmidt it's, it's only been, been down it's only been down for Clark Schmidt but so yeah I'm looking towards Domingo Herman if he can just stay consistent I don't think what he did at the last time out versus the Twins is really attainable consistently. But if he can just put in solid starts, get you five, six innings, Yankees fans, you know, they can't ask for any, much more. And I think it, we talk about how tough some of the starts have been. The Yankees' bullpen has been really, really good. It, it's really been Clay Holmes has got hit around a couple times. He has that 470 ERA, but also has four saves on the season. So it's and, not like... And ERA right now for a yeah. reliever is so skewed because you have Absolutely. so little innings. Like If you just have one appearance where you give up two runs, it's going to yep. inflate your stats completely. But the rest of the bullpen looks very good. They look dominant. They come in games, and it feels like the door is getting slammed shut when they have a lead. However, sometimes, you know, uh, it's baseball. You're going to lose games. You're not going to go 162-0 like we thought the Rays were. Uh, now sit at 16-3. <laughs> and 3. and 3, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but looking ahead at this Yankees schedule, they got the Blue Jays coming up, and that's by far going to be their biggest test all year. This Blue Jays team in the AL East, I think that's just going to be um, a battle coming up. I Just looking for your preliminary thoughts on what this series is going to be. Well, how about, and I don't know how much the Yankees are thinking about this, but as a fan, I remember this circulated a ton in the offseason. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was doing like a press release or something where he was talking to fans, and they asked him, like, who's the easiest team to play? And he said, Yankees by far. And everyone points to, you went 8-11 and 11 versus them last year. Like, what are you talking about? But he is somebody that has so much confidence, and he hits the Yankees super well at a three-run homer game against them last year. I'm looking forward to that back and forth between the Yankees and Blue Jays because the Blue Jays are a team these last two, three years. Everyone's been waiting to anoint them, the kings of this division. They stack up a few years ago. Everyone looks like this is a super team in the AL East, and they fire Charlie Montoyo halfway through the year. So I'm really looking forward to that Blue Jays series. You mentioned it. You look at the Yankees' schedule so far. Baltimore, sure, they sit at 11-7. and seven, Same record as the Yankees. And outside of that, you don't look at anyone they've played and feel real fear like they're a legitimate team that's going to be contending at the end of the day. This is that first test for the Yankees for sure. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to some more intra-division matchups because this year that's a big difference. There's less play between teams in the same division. So it's interesting, you know, watching a team play out of out of the, you know, league. AL teams playing NL teams way more than before. So, But it always comes down to that AL East play for the Yankees. It's going to be a super competitive division, as you already mentioned, the Rays 16-3, and that stellar start. So I'm really going to be interested to see how the Yankees kind of play against the guys like like the Blue Jays. For example. Quick note on that series, like you look at the Saturday game, the difference in the seasons, Manoa versus Cole should be an ace-off. Cole, 4-0, under one ERA. Manoa has been one of the stories in baseball with his shortcomings this season. He is a 7 ERA right now. So that is not like one of those, you know, loser goes home scenarios, but like the pressure is so much on Manoa to finally pitch well this season. I'm also, I'm curious, you mentioned maybe there's some beef there with Vlad Guerrero and the Yankees. Manoa is one of the pitchers in the entire league who's been known to be pretty verbal on the mound and, you know, not afraid to to let the opponent know how he's feeling. So maybe we could see some tensions rising in that game. I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to make a call here. No, no, We're going to brawl? So no brawl, but I think there is a point where multiple players are out of the dugout screaming at each other. I could see. I mean, just go watch any Manoa start. It's pretty crazy. Because he chirps like everyone. Yeah, he's like Bumgarner right now, but if – Bumgarner was actually good, and he just got released, so that's enough for him. Sign, sign back in San Francisco, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, you know, you mentioned that Manoa, Cole start. Right before that is Herman versus Kikuchi. And last game out, we saw Herman had the issue with the sticky stuff. Last night, Max Scherzer has the issue with the, the so-called sticky stuff in air quotes. Um, a lot of these guys are getting popped for just having too much rosin. And I believe Scherzer that's has— That's what they're saying. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Um, Scherzer sworn his kids, so yeah. I, I think he's a pretty good family man. I would I would trust. Max I will Scherzer. say though he has that like psycho mentality yeah. where who knows who he would double cross. That that's fair. That's <laughs> completely fair. Um, but looking at that, it's so funny to me all this stuff in baseball. I believe Scherzer has an auto ten game suspension. I think they're still talking about it. Right I think he, he can appeal. He, so. He's appealing it, but it, it's so funny to me that it's you know. All these pitchers are going away from sticky stuff. Probably half of them are still using it, just figuring out ways to get around it, I would assume. But what's the deal with all the rosin issues? And I saw there's one umpire in particular that has all three ejections. For Phil, I, Phil Cuzzy. 
All three, all three ejections since the substance checks were put in place, all of them have done when he's the crew chief. And I want to say it was him or a different ump in the Scherzer start that said, so what, it's been three years now or two and a half seasons, whatever it's been, since they started like checking every inning. He said Scherzer's hand, glove, whatever it may be, was the stickiest he's ever felt. I don't know if there's some new type of thing that the players are doing, but if he's saying it's sweat and rosin, we have a huge issue in Major League Baseball. If we're ejecting players for that now, the line is is it's swung too far the other direction where stuff that's completely legal and natural, obviously you're going to sweat when you're pitching. Obviously that's going to lead to things being sticky. If that's where we are right now, and I'm by no means a Mets fan or anything, but I don't want to see the stars in baseball or any player, nonetheless, get wrongfully ejected and us have to talk about the umpires because anytime you're talking about the refs or umps, whatever it may be, it's taking away from the game. It's never a good thing when you have to bring in the umpires to talk like about. Like bring up the name Phil Cuzzy. If you're getting named as a ref or an ump, it's never for how well of a job you're doing. Yeah, Angel Hernandez is not yeah, right? named. He's, he's a nice guy. Um, no, I kind of equate it to, to be honest, like, when you have a runner on second and you're looking into the catcher's signs, that's all legal. And maybe, you know, people from the outside who aren't really familiar with baseball can look at that and say, oh, you're cheating, you're seeing the signs. But no, it's just a part of the game. Whereas, and you, and you saw it, it's taken to extremes where it is illegal with what the Astros did, where with this now, he's using sweat and rosin. And I saw a Trevor Barrett video when he was on the Dodgers. He was showcasing how that affects the ball. And when you do just rosin, it kind of sticks. When you mix, like, sweat and the hair and then you put rosin on it, it's pretty sticky. But you can't tell a player not to get sweat on their hands. That's right. like that's part of their body. So I kind of equate to that, where I think you can't eject players for using rosin and sweat, just like you know you can't disgrace a player for stealing signs from second when they're using their own eyes. It's kind of a, a thing where it's just going to be a part of baseball, which is probably approved because it's you know you're getting a competitive advantage, but it's all fair. Well, the thing with rosin is it's a safety thing for the batters. It's so that their hands don't have sweat on them so that they're able to throw the ball more consistently. But uh, you're able to manipulate it a little bit. I've pitched with some rosin before, and you can make it really, really sticky if you do it right. However, don't eject someone if they're using a legal substance. That's the thing that really bugs me. I have a question for you. Being a pitcher currently for Fordham Club Baseball, (laughs) back-to-back division champs, how much of like does the sweat and the rosin versus legitimate sticky stuff like play a difference? Uh, well, I have personally never like in he, game, he, he wants to find out if you use spider tag. Like you've seen I, it I, yeah, I mean you've obviously f- messed around with it right. a little bit, fooled around, but it, it, I I personally don't like it. I I think it makes everything spike a little more. If you can figure out how to use it, congrats. Um, but. I don't use rosin very much either because I just like the natural feel. I, I, I feel like I can do it. But when you're using like something like spider tech or pine tar, it is significantly sad. Like you can yeah. just hold, so you that's, can have your right. hand facing down. And the then that's where stick. my concern is too. Like if there is that big difference and we're ejecting players for just using natural legal things, that's where it gets dangerous for me. And Danny, I like the point you made about how it's about protecting the hitters because I remember when this was first initiated, I think it was Pete Alonzo was like, let them use sticky stuff you because I don't want to get hit. And yeah. I, I, everyone was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then you kind of think about it, it kind of makes sense. These hitters, 
It's all about their safety just as much. So that's an interesting point. Well, when you're changing what they've been doing for so long, it messes with their timing. And pitching's very difficult. And these guys are coming in throwing 95 plus at this day and age. You don't really see many guys in the low 90s anymore. Everyone's throwing harder because they're bigger, stronger, faster. So when you change up their timing, the ball's going to come out a little earlier. A lot more guys are going to get drilled, which is uh, a little scary. But. Moving on, we talked about all the sticky stuff. We got to talk about the Mets a little bit. Coming off a sweep of the A's and then taking two of three from the Dodgers. Uh, this team is very interesting to me because they have such a high payroll, um, but they don't really have guys that are, are big boppers. You got Pete Alonzo, and then the next closest guy is Lindor with four, but that's what you're paying him to do to hit 20 bombs a year. After that, no one on the team has more than two. Right. I was on one-on-one two Saturdays ago, and I said, and it's unfair to do this at this point in the year, but to have a $300, what, $60 million payroll and to have one premier power hitter, it's in today's day and age, yep. when home runs drive the sport and win games in October, it's unfathomable to think about it. It probably goes down to weird roster construction because, like, as you say, it's not like they're bad players. Like, they have no, a really talented group. Brandon Nimmo this year looks like one of the best deals of the offseason, 957 OPS, 5 for 5 the other day versus the Dodgers, yet he only has one home run on the year. I believe that was in that game as well. So can you win long-term with just one power hitter and a bunch of guys who slap the ball over the ballpark? I'm not sure, and the Mets are going to be a perfect test to see if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I guess it helps when that one guy has eight right, home runs in 19 games. <laughs> like, he may be the home run king. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting. You looked at a high payroll, and then, like you guys said, him. I mean, to me, like, the Mets are sometimes boring for that reason because it's kind of like, oh, this guy, you know, he's really, really good. Brandon Nemo is really good on defense. He's great at taking walks and running to first base. But, like, is he going to hit a 450-foot bomb, which is now, like, kind of what's expected in the league now with how just the trends are trending? Uh, so it's really interesting to see. But they are 12-7 and all the while without – they're tied number one highest paid player and Justin Verlander who's on the injured list. So they're playing good ball. Do we have a timetable on him? I think their their hope was by the end of the month, but now I think it's looking like it's going to be May. Uh, but like you said, like Rodon, Rodon's a different right. thing it's every bad, day. Yeah. Uh, and Verlander's what forty. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about having your two highest paid players like thirty eight and forty years old. I don't know if that's a and smart one hundred million dollar closer. It's very interesting to see. Who's, how they won't play team. the rest of the yeah. year. Yeah. So that's an interesting strategy. And then, like you said, having like the highest payroll in baseball and having one power hitter. It's an interesting roster construction. But all the power to them. The Mets feel like your grandpa's favorite team. Uh, they actually guys, are my grandpa's guy, favorite. Yeah, <laughs> guys that just kind of slap the ball all around. They don't do too much. They play a, a good style of baseball. You never really, you don't hear that many issues coming out of the Mets. I feel like some you, nice sack bunts. Even <laughs> yeah, even when you're in New York, the Mets are are such like a, a non-issue in the city. Besides them just being so bad for so long, but the pitching, I think. If you're a Mets fan, you're a little scared. Scherzer is starting to figure it out. I was on the podcast last week, and his ERA was in the fours. It's since dropped to a 3.72. but this team feels like, you know, they got so much money wrapped up in all these players. They're going to need a back end of that rotation arm coming down the stretch. I'm a big fan of Kodai Senga. I yeah, said he's been great. On that one-on-one -on -one a few weeks ago, I said this rotation and how successful it is, it'll be dictated by him because his floor slash ceiling is far different than every other player. Mm -hmm. You know what you're going to get, and he just got hurt. But Carlos Carrasco, you know what he is at this point in his career, sub-four ERA innings eater. Kodai Senga could either be an all-star this year 
or it could be horrible going into the year, right? You know, coming over from overseas, you never know. There's so much boom-bust potential. He's been unbelievable. 3.38 ERA, the ghost fork, the pitch he has. They can't even pick it up on the miles <laughs> per hour. It's so nasty and something we haven't seen. I'm a huge fan of him, and I think having – it's funny because this rotation's so old. He's the young buck. He's a rookie, and he's still 30. Yeah. It's, it's very funny to see it built out like that, but I think having him – and if you can get, and it's a big if, the two 38, 40-year-olds healthy, that's legit top three. After that is where a lot of the questions come in. Yeah, I mean, you got Tyler McGill, I believe it's pronounced Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. Tyler. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's 3.0 ERA so far this season. I know ERAs are just kind of a weak stat to look at, but he's been pretty solid for the Mets. And overall, I just think it's a little bit risky because baseball, the longest season of any sport, once it gets to even August— you know, everyone's dealing with some type of nagging injury. And they were dealing with them before opening day. Yeah, and you, yeah, and your two supposed to be premier because pitching wins in the playoff. That's that's how it goes. And your two premier aces are forty and thirty eight. And then by the time you get to August, they're already hurt now. Like what's it gonna be like in four months? So it's a little concerning there for the Mets. And then we like we talked about their offense doesn't really have that firepower that other teams have. So it'll be interesting. But I am looking towards that Tyler McGill, Kodai Senga, and see if they can maybe carry the load while these guys struggle. And Tyler McGill, I don't know if you guys remember back to last season, opened the season just on fire. Looked like the best right. pitcher in baseball. And he didn't even make this team coming out of. Yep. He was in AAA when they announced their roster, but because of the injuries, he came up and he's been great. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I'm sorry to interrupt. I remember that... Um, so I'm really into baseball cards, and uh, I was at a show. I was so that's on. one of those like investments, right? Yeah, exactly. So I was like looking at some guys' cards, and you know, Tyler McGill. I was like, oh, I know this guy. Like, how much is this? He's like, oh, two hundred dollars. I was like, excuse me, what? And he was like, yeah, this guy's like selling hot right now. He's going crazy. Was this at last year? Like when? This he was is like last year, like beginning of the year. And okay. I was like just not paying attention to him. And I looked him up, and he had probably like a one point zero year at the time. And I was like, wow, like Mets fans were just raving about him. So that's just interesting that I found. Yeah, you him. still? I sorry, I think it's I think the baseball like cards landscape is fascinating. Do you still trade like that and look at? Yeah, so I just do I do baseball and every other sport, but yeah, there, it's kind of it's kind of cool because is there any player that you're like like you're investing in big time who's maybe hasn't popped yet that you're looking to oh, return man. your value on? Yeah, that's I mean, put you on the spot. No, no, no. Yeah, I do uh, I do some prospecting, so like <laughs> my my Nationals bias is going to come through here. <laughs> but James Wood, a guy we got from the Pitcher, Padres right? for this, so no, he's a six eight outfielder oh. who with like fifty fifty speed. Yeah, he's he's like projected to be the next Aaron Judge, uh, but we're not going to go to that. But uh, yeah. I like getting into the prospects, although that stuff is really risky because you right. see a lot of these prospects who do not pan out, and then you waste a lot of money. So <laughs> it's an interesting concept. But uh, just going back to it real quick before we shift to uh, the last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here. Um, if you're the Mets, I think coming down the stretch, when when we get to that point, uh, and the deadline, you're going to be looking to add you know, that fourth, fifth guy in your rotation arm after – uh, Scherzer, hopefully Verlander gets healthy, and then uh, Sanga, and you got to be looking at another power bat because the Daniel Vogelback uh, experience, uh, as much as the New Yorkers like how you love put that him, experience. Um, he has not really panned out. One home run on the year, you bring him in to be that, you know, give Pete Alonso a day off. Hopefully, he comes in and hits a bomb. He has one home run on the year so far. I- I'm curious just to see where you guys would look to around the league of guys they should target i mean i have a report came out yesterday from jeff passan this solves 
this checks two boxes that you just brought up, another starter yeah, and a power. Yeah, you know exactly yeah, where I'm yeah, going with it, and <laughs> it's, it's tacky, I guess, to say, but the Angels will not be good this year. They will not make the playoffs. Shohei Otani will not re-sign. I'm very confident in saying all those things right now. The way that his contract's looking like but potentially going to be, you don't want to give up the farm for him unless you're confident you can pay him. Well, who is a team that can offer him $500 million? It's New York Mets. They had $300 million, whatever it was, to Carlos Correa. That money can go to Shohei, and then you can you can mix some other things around. Remember, you know, Scherzer and Verlander's contracts aren't forever. That's a combined $80 million. So if I'm the Mets, I go all in. I trade for Shohei Otani, give up Alvarez, whoever, Beatty, plus whatever, whatever it's going to take to get Otani. That gives you another ace, a younger ace, and it gives you an awesome complimentary power bat to Pete Alonso. But then again, you could say, why not just wait till he's a free agent? That's another... Because you have a chance to win right now. That's true. And yeah. the, the thing that's... The Mets haven't, for all Steve Cohen going all the way in, they haven't been the most aggressive team with the deadline. Last year, it no. probably lost them the division, not going all in. The Braves catch fire in the second half. They win that series at the end of the year. It's one of the things I think... You go back two years ago, they trade for Javi Baez. Doesn't really pan out, so then you get buyer's remorse. Last year, I think this year, with how, you know, they had a magical year. One of their best years in franchise history, 100-plus wins. They get balanced by the Padres in the first round. They can't have that happen again. They can't lose in the wild card round. Again, you go out and you be aggressive if I'm the Mets. I mean, I, the Brewers are looking really good right now. One guy I think could be interesting there if they fall off that. They're at 14-5 and five right now if they fall off this hard start is Corbin Burns. I mean... He has kind of struggled, too, this year. He's struggled, and he also, if you guys remember, he went through a, a really rough arbitration period with the Brewers over the summer, and uh, or sorry, over the offseason, and it got really nasty. And I remember he came out in the public uh, during spring training. He was kind of criticizing the front office and saying how it felt like, felt like he wasn't being valued at all, and that could be interesting. If the Brewers start teetering around 500 and it makes sense for them to move off that, I mean, Corbin Burns has been an elite pitcher for the last two or three years, that could be a really interesting pickup for the Mets, and it could kind of ease some of that pressure off a Scherzer and a Verlander. The guy, and I'll give you a pitcher and a hitter. The The hitter that I'm looking at, I believe I brought it up last week, and I think, Ryan, you'll agree with this, um, is C.J. Crone of the Rockies. I think that's a perfect fit for him. Uh, an underrated uh, superstar in baseball has an been, last year. Yeah, has been yeah. stuck in Colorado, so uh, a guy that doesn't get as much recognition. And then if I'm the Mets and I'm looking at the San Francisco Giants this year, the Giants are going to suck. They got a lot of pitchers that I think you could trade for, and I think a guy that um, may hit the block this year is Anthony DiScalfani. Um, who has been very, very good in San Francisco. Uh, not very, very good, but, but, but pretty darn good, has been serviceable, a back end of a rotation guy that I think would help the Mets out a lot. And if the Giants are going to go on a fire sale, the Mets could look at the trade for Darren Ruff as well. As well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I, sure they'd love him back. <laughs> one thing I'll say about C.J. Crone, it's not the worst thing if you're a hitter being stuck in Colorado. So It's not the worst thing, but you also want to win. You don't want to yeah, whittle your career, uh, uh, career away. Um, in Colorado. Well, if I remember correctly, he was with the Rays and Angels before, I believe, and he was never a guy that was like lighting the world on fire, but no. it's one of those things that elevation can completely change a career. And it's interesting because it can change a career, and then you look at Chris Bryant, and he just hit his first home run in Coors Field, and he's been on the team for two years. <laughs> so it's really interesting how it kind of works out differently. Yeah, it's kind of funny. But uh, the last thing I want to talk about is some 
kind of really big baseball news. We're getting one of the faces of baseball back tonight. Uh, whether you love him or hate him after his PEDs, Fernando Tatis Jr. is entering maybe the best team in the National League's lineup again tonight. We'll be playing right field for the Padres. But uh, just curious what your guys' thoughts are, him coming back, the whole deal with him being able to play minor league games uh, well uh, on this uh, suspension. Um, but it basically, they treated it as a rehab start when he was suspended from Major League Baseball. It's interesting, and it's something that we literally talked about it before the show. I didn't know it was possible. Then I had a flashback to when Manny Ramirez got suspended for PEDs. His career is pretty much over. He was on the other side of 40. But just for the fun of it, he was playing a triple-A for the Cubs, Rakin, when he had no chance of getting called up because he had like 75 games on a suspension. So I think it can go both ways. But at the same time, like Danny, I do understand why it's allowed because so much time off, you can't just rush him back into yeah. the big leagues. And when he's not suspended, if you're the Padres, you can't afford him to be in triple-A. With you know, you mentioned you think they're the best team in the National League potentially. This year hasn't been that way. They're nine and eleven to start the year, so certainly a welcoming addition. Now he's fresh. He's been playing, so he has he's not super rusty. And listen, he's polarizing. I think we're gonna look back in twenty years if he continued the trajectory he's on a what if scenario in terms of his legacy and how he's viewed. But hopefully we we steer away from the steroids being that big of a deal. But it's exciting for baseball that he's back. He is must-see TV when he steps on the field. Yeah, I mean, I cannot wait for tonight's game. I mean, Tatis, Fernando Tatis is so good for the game of baseball. I mean, what he does, how he celebrates, although some of the old heads in the game might not like it, he brings eyes to the league, which the MLB needs. Really quickly, Danny mentioned your grandpa's favorite team is the Mets. Your grandpa's least favorite it's player is Tatis. Tatis. steroids, yeah. showboats, all the things that they hate. But a couple of things I want to mention about Tatis, he— He's the only player to record 35 home runs, 35 plus home runs, and 25 plus stolen bases in their first 150 games in the modern era. So, this guy is a superstar. He's also the youngest ever player to sign a $300 million plus contract. So, we're talking about a generational talent, and the Padres paid him to be that. And he's so far been that on the field, but the issue is he hasn't been on the field, and he's kind of shown some recklessness off the field with. The wrist injury, yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Where even after the the suspension, I think AJ Preller just said straight up, "We just we need to see that maturity out of him that we haven't seen yet." But and, and you had players calling him out too, like after he got suspended. Clevenger, I think, was right. calling him selfish. Which Clevenger's his own case. He's an interesting <laughs> guy, but uh, I, I definitely think that when you look at a guy like Tatis, who's just so supremely talented, plus. You know, he just brings his energy and vibrance to the league that they desperately need. And he's on a Padres team that's just so talented. It can only be good things for, for baseball. Hopefully he can stay on the field. And when in the, that rehab start, he absolutely raked. 515 batting average. His last three games, 11 for 16, six home runs. He had a stretch where he was 7 for 7 with five homers. Yeah. He raked in minor league baseball. So I'm very curious... Uh, to see what his deal is when he rejoins this Padres team that is absolutely loaded. You got Bogarts, you got Machado, um, Josh Bell is no slouch. Um, oh no, not Josh Bell. Uh, who's Soto. Our, so I mean Soto. Um, who's playing? You're bringing, uh, you're bringing Cronenworth. Up painful yeah. memories right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you said Soto, Cronenworth, Tatis. It's just absolutely stacked lineup. So. Interesting to see what's going to be going on in baseball, but 
I think that's going to wrap up the episode, unless you guys got anything else you want to bring up real quick. No. Um, good? Oakland A's moving to Vegas, it looks like, in 2027. That's interesting. Um, I feel horrible for them, honestly. 3-16 and 16 on the year. Me and Joe were talking about this before the show. Somebody brought it up the other day to me that it's, it's June something. They're hosting, like, a, the fans are revolting against the ownership by going to the game. <laughs> they want to sell out the Oakland Coliseum as a big F you to ownership and prove it's not the fans, it's you guys. I love that. I'm rooting for that so well. But it's so sad to see the way you want to get back your ownership is go to a game. It, it's really fitting to see what a weird franchise, even the trades they've made for guys they can't pay, they've just gotten wrong. Like the Matt Olson trade, the top prospect in that deal, Pache, he's now with the Phillies. So it's really a sad story with how good they were a few years ago, and I'm rooting for a move to Vegas because I think that rein, it just gives them more juice, and it's something they desperately need. Yeah, it's not even really the management's fault. It's really the ownership. I mean, they had Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman. They had a really, Josh really Donaldson. Murphy. Yeah, they had a really a lot of good, you know, players run through that team, and it's just a matter of ownership, I guess, not really caring about wanting to field the competitive baseball team, which really sucks for Oakland. I mean, that's the third team now that they've had to leave in the last 10 years. So really And a brutal. back-to-back Vegas. You know, you have the Oakland Raiders and now the Oakland A's yeah, do you both think, going to Vegas. Do you think the, the amount of people who live in Oakland are now flying and living in Vegas? Do you think that's going up? Or you think yeah, I do. Probably maybe yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it probably is. And yeah, California's expensive. I'll, I'll tell you that personally. I also think, too, like it's, it's, it's better and maybe – it's better long-term for the A's success moving to Vegas. It's not going to work out in Oakland. We've seen it. That stadium's a dump. They don't care about it there. And one more thing. I don't know if you guys saw this. Apparently, uh, visiting teams' broadcasts have had to the not. Possum. Yeah, because yeah. there's a possum living in like, the. It's a, it's a saying that's so overused, like poverty franchise. Like, that's a poverty moment. Literally. You can't broadcast a game because there's a possum living in the broadcast booth. <laughs> it's crazy. Well... Um, as a San Francisco Giants fans, good riddance to the A's, make Giants baseball the king of the Bay Area. But for Ryan Gregoire and Joe Murphy, I am nope. Danny Scott. Joe Masters. Joe Masters. Close. Oh, my gosh. Close. Oh, Close. my gosh. Close. Couldn't, for Ryan Gregoire and Joe Masters, I am Danny Scott. Shout out to Brian Raybacks behind the glass. Julia Moss video producing. Julia Moss video producing. Uh, Nosebleeds is a production of WFUV Sports.